All right, Sarah. We are at the entrance to a park. Yes. At an undisclosed location somewhere in the New York metro area. Yes. I would like to ask you to please read the email that you sent me that has brought us here today. Sure. Do you think Sporkful listeners are pumped for pawpaw season? Maybe a few, but a lot of the people have no idea what pawpaws are. Pawpaw lovers are just about the biggest nerds out there, and I'm one of them. So much so that I wrote an entire cookbook about pawpaws, the Pocket Pawpaw Cookbook. It explores the ins and outs of gathering and preparing North America's largest native fruit, which is not as straightforward as it seems. Pawpaws are tricky in the kitchen. You can't buy them in stores. Occasionally, they cause people to vomit. But besides the rare instances of vomiting, pawpaws are truly beguiling. They're aromatic, custardy, and reminiscent of tropical fruit like mangoes and bananas. I make a mean pawpaw lassie. Pawpaws grow all over the place in Ohio, where I live. To my knowledge, there's only one pawpaw patch in the New York City area. It's a quasi-secret, but through careful Google searches and tips from the grapevine, I sussed out where it is. What if I came to New York and took you there to go pawpaw hunting? I wouldn't want the actual location revealed on the show in order to keep yahoos from raiding it. Also, mysteries are more fun. So, Sarah, you're in from Ohio. Here we are. Here we are. I think there's only one thing left to do. What's that? Look for pawpaws. Let's go. Okay. Oh, there's there are two more things left to do. Okay. <laughs> Apply insect repellent. Okay. <laughs> and then look for pawpaws. Okay, all right, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. Today, we're searching for pawpaws, guided by Sarah Burr, who you just heard. She's an author, chef, and recipe developer, and she loves pawpaws so much that she offered to make the nine-hour drive from her home in Ohio to New York to introduce me to them. So, what is this mysterious fruit? Why have I, and I suspect many of you, never heard of it? And what about it inspires this almost cultish following? As Sarah said in her email, pawpaws are the largest fruit native to North America. They've been around for as long as we have records in this part of the world. The Shawnee tribe has a month named after the pawpaw. Thomas Jefferson had them grown at Monticello. Lewis and Clark ate them on their famous expedition. And formerly enslaved people foraged and ate pawpaws on their way to freedom. When European colonists first encountered these fruits, they may have thought they were papayas. In fact, in some parts of the world, pawpaw is another name for papaya. But the North American pawpaw we're talking about today is a completely different fruit in a different family from the papaya. Ohio, West Virginia, and other parts of Appalachia are the heart of pawpaw country. But they grow as far west as Nebraska, up into Canada, down to Florida, and east to New York, where Sarah and I are today. It's almost impossible to find pawpaws at a grocery store, for reasons we'll get into later. That means to get your paws on some pawpaws, you have to forage for them. As we said, I can't tell you where Sarah and I are looking. That's a big no-no among foragers. But I will say that it took me nearly three hours to get from my house on Long Island to this spot. Which doesn't really tell you anything, because with traffic, that could be 200 miles or 20. The spot is called a park, but it's really just woods that run along a busy road. You don't just, like, end up where we are right now by accident. Exactly, exactly. This is, this is the most fun kind of place to go foraging because it's full of surprises. 
And it's completely unexceptional from from where we're standing. Yeah, there, there is no path. You should have brought a machete. <laughs> that would have been really fun. Sarah's never been here before, but I'm hoping she's got enough sleuthing skills and enough contacts in the pawpaw dark web to figure out where this pawpaw patch should be. What are the chances that we're going to search and search and search and never find it? Is that possible? I think it's possible. I think it's possible. I believe there are pawpaw trees here, but uh, maybe I'm a nincompoop and not able to see them. And also, if we find the trees, there may be no pawpaws on them, right? That's... Oh, so there's, there's, there's two likely. hurdles we got to get over. Two hurdles. First, we got to find the trees, and then we got to hope they still have some fruit on them, or that they ever had some fruit on them. Yes, yes. Everyone listening, um, place your wagers now. <laughs> 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 what is the probability of success here? I, this is going to be successful no matter what, because any time, to me, spent out of the woods is like totally, totally worth it. We make our way through this untamed thicket of trees, fallen branches, and brambles. We pass an old exercise bike that someone trashed, which is deep enough into the woods that it's not like a person just chucked it in here. They carried it in quite a ways. I suspect it's a marker for buried treasure, or a body. We leave it undisturbed. Sarah starts giving me some tips on what we're looking for. Pawpaws are understory trees, so that means in a hardwood forest like this, the understory trees are going to be the, the shorter ones growing under what I suppose would be the canopy, right? Right. Most pawpaw trees get to be like maybe 20 to 30 feet tall, but 10 feet tall is also not an uncommon height. They don't get super duper big. So if I see, if we see a, a patch of, of greenery that's notably not as tall as everything else out here, that is a sign. When was the first time you heard about pawpaws? When I was in my 20s, I had a boyfriend from West Virginia. He told me about them, and it sounded like a, some something that somebody made up. It didn't sound like it could exist. It just stuck in my head that that existed. Several years passed, and Sarah moved all around the country. Eventually, she settled back in Ohio, where she's from. She was working as a chef and recipe developer, but she was also searching for a new direction, some kind of spark. And when we moved to Ohio... I was out in the woods around this time of year, and I saw this thing splayed open in the middle of the trail, just like smashed open, and it had these, these bright yellow guts and these glistening black seeds. It looked like a spaceship had dropped it there. It looked like nothing I had ever seen in all of my years. So I picked it up and I smelled it, and I thought, I bet this thing's a pawpaw. So when I revisited the spot and... Um, after having verified that it was indeed a pawpaw, it went back. I found another one that was not smashed open with ants on it. And I just stood there and ate it. And I was like, what the heck? It was like nothing I'd ever tasted before. And so you can spend your whole life in a place where pawpaws grow and you just, you're just not aware of them at all, which is kind of fun because once you are, it's like this whole other portal opens up and you realize... There are so many discoveries to be made in our everyday world. I gather there's like a whole community of pawpaw nerds, as you put it in your letter. <laughs> Tell me about that community. Who are the people? What are these people like? Slightly esoteric, into plants. People who love eating pawpaws tend to have more... I don't want to say adventurous, 
they can just tolerate a wider range of flavors and they're drawn to that. I'm super lucky that a bona fide pawpaw nerd was willing to drive all the way to New York to hang out with me. But not everyone has that opportunity. For most folks, you have to go to the pawpaw community. And the best way to do that is to head to the annual Ohio Pawpaw Festival. A few days before Sarah and I met on the side of the road, more than 7,000 people descended on Albany, Ohio for the festival. Sarah was there giving a demonstration about how to de-seed, puree, and freeze pawpaw pulp. There was a best pawpaw competition, judged by TikTok famous forager Alexis Nicole Nelson and other experts. Sarah described the attendees as people who like to hula hoop and dance to jam bands. We sent reporter Liz Reed to the festival to chat up the pawpaw faithful. What brought you here today? Um, just trying to find some pawpaw fruit and eat some pawpaw food, drink some pawpaw drinks. We are foragers. Um, we have uh, pretty hilly acreage and forested acreage that has pawpaws on it. So we get ideas on how to improve production on our own property. I was just found it fascinating that you could take a wild pawpaw and graft a different cultivar on it and change the variety, but also... The festival also attracted some newbies. I've had pawpaws once in my life. I grew up in West Virginia and, you know, you sang the song, you know, way down yonder in the pawpaw patch and all that kind of stuff. But I have yet to eat one yet, but the beer's good. This festival takes place every September, which is prime time for pawpaw foraging, although the season extends into October in some areas. Pawpaws may be hard to find in the woods of New York, but at the festival, they're everywhere. And most people can't get enough of their distinctive taste and texture. You cut it open, and when the one I ate was really soft, so I kind of ate it with a spoon, and it had the consistency of a custard, and it was like a mild banana mango taste. It was delicious. They're, they're very good. They're rich. They're almost too, sometimes almost cloyingly sweet. Uh, well, it's a little slimy, um, but it's like a, it's like somewhere between banana and mango. There's a little bit of pineapple. This is genuine reaction. All right, here you go. You try some. Mmm. It's like it's very much a combination between a banana and a mango. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, that's good though. That's that's really good. Mm -hmm. I like that. That taste has inspired many nicknames for the pawpaw. Prairie banana, Indiana banana, poor man's banana, American custard apple, Quaker delight, and hillbilly mango. When Sarah told me that pawpaws are like nothing she ever tasted before, that's because they've got an unusual lineage. They're native to North America, but they're in a family with fruits that grow in tropical climates like cherimoya and soursop. So most of the pawpaw's relatives are native to the Caribbean, Central America, or South America, much closer to the equator. The pawpaw is like a sibling that wandered away from the group at some point and never turned back. But it still tastes tropical. Its flavors might transport you to the Caribbean, even if the closest beach is on Lake Erie. Vic Rose tried a pawpaw for the first time just a few days before the festival, when he found some growing on his property in West Virginia. It tastes very much like a tropical fruit called a sweet sop, which I was uh, familiar with from growing up in Jamaica. The sweet sops can't grow here, it's too cold. I sent to text all my Jamaican relatives to tell them that I may have identified a sweet sop substitute that'll grow in the colder. Vic and his wife, Vicky, were so inspired, they drove up to the festival on a whim. So now we're standing in line to test, to taste test because we don't know what a pawpaw really is supposed to taste like. And we can compare, he can compare it to the one he knows and I can learn something new. The Ohio Pawpaw Festival is all about sharing pawpaws, eating them, swapping recipes, trading tips about how to grow them. But some information isn't shared. 
Um, we live in Columbus, and there's a lot of sort of competition because there's a lot of papa growing in the city and parks, but um, you have to be very vigilant to actually be able to get them. Um, between the animals and the other foragers, it's, it's real hard to to get any. Do you know, like, what are some spots that you go to? Do you have, like, a favorite Oh, we spot? wouldn't give that away. <laughs> Why not? I just told you about the competition. <laughs> uh, there's a, a park nearby, and they have a hike every year, and they tell you to bring a bag, so I figured, you know, they know where the pawpaws are. I didn't go on the hike. I went, I saw where they were meeting, and then I went the week before and found where the pawpaws were. Back in the woods with Sarah, we've been hacking our way through brambles and branches for about a half hour. And then... Oh my God! What? 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 Did you find one? This is a baby one! Oh, hello, hello! Here's just a little tiny young one. Look at its beautiful leaves. So... I think it's notable that this is this is a pawpaw. Okay, so we have achieved phase one. I would say this is like maybe a year or two old. It's not that big. But the leaves are really big. They have these long tapered leaves. And to my mind, they have a bit of a jungly look to them. So we found our first pawpaw tree <laughs> here. But, but this is a baby, so there's no hope of there being fruit at this point. Oh. Sarah is now petting the pawpaw. <laughs> I do this with lots of plants that I love that uh, won't give me rashes, right? Like, I just <laughs> I just want to thank them for existing because they've brought so much joy to my life. Plants are great listeners because they don't care about your feelings. It just makes me feel like I'm existing as part of the larger fabric of, of the world. So I, I, think we, I, I feel good that we've already found signs of pawpaw life here yeah in these woods um but this is a baby and we want we want some we're hoping to find some fruit so let, let's keep going yeah you lead the way sarah which, which way coming up will my quest with sarah bear fruit plus we talk to someone who's trying to grow pawpaws despite the fact that they're famously fickle stick around And now, a delicious word from our sponsors. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. If you haven't listened to last week's episode with Stanley Tucci, listen to it right after this one because it does not disappoint. The Internet's favorite Negroni maker is a Hollywood actor who's managed to build much of his career around food. He offers me lessons on how to eat on camera convincingly and analyzes the similarities between restaurants and the theater. You know, backstage, that's like the kitchen. On stage? On stage in the dining room, everything is controlled. You know, every cue is being picked up, every mark is being hit, every table is being served properly, blah, blah, blah. And then backstage and in the kitchen, it's like a It's like an asylum. Um, <laughs> And that, I love that. I love that. <laughs> Plus, Stanley tells me about his experience with oral cancer and how that almost robbed him of his ability to enjoy food. That one's up in your podcast feed right now. Check it out. Okay, we'll get back to my pawpaw mission in the woods in a bit, but the woods aren't the only place you can find these fruits. People do grow them. Problem is, 
it's hard. The trees require specific conditions to fruit, shade when they're small, sun when they're bigger. And then once the fruit is harvested, it doesn't keep well. So unlike, say, a red delicious apple that's been bred to last a long time after it's picked so it can be shipped to a store and sit on the shelf for a week, the pawpaw needs to be eaten within a few days. Kentucky State University has the only full-time pawpaw research program in the world, and they're trying to develop new varieties of pawpaws that might be easier to mass-produce. You can buy seeds from them now. But I wanted to talk to one of the few people who's trying to grow pawpaw trees on a smaller scale. I have no background in agriculture. My degree is in opera. Um, and I, you know, uh, like... You should write an opera about the pawpaw. We love the pawpaw. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> This is Deleslin George Warren, but most people call him by his nickname, Rue. Rue is a citizen of Catawba Nation, a federally recognized tribe with trust land in North and South Carolina. Rue started learning about pawpaws a few years ago. He grew up near the Catawba Reservation, then left to go to college and work in D.C. He moved back in 2017 to work with the tribe. Originally, he was focused on the Catawba language. Coming back and working on the language, what I realized in diving into our language resources and the historical texts is that I couldn't know the language until I knew the land. And so that's when um, that started kind of expanding into understanding what are our native plants, what can we forage for, um, what are our agricultural traditions. And so from there, it just kind of grew into larger community work on food. Why couldn't you know the language until you knew the land? So every language, right, is is full of the values and understandings of the people who came before, right? And so Catawba is unique from European languages because it was developed on these lands, right? And so everything about the language is structured around our relationships and understandings with the land. So, for example, the word nature doesn't really exist in Catawba, Um the word you would use is basically just outside because there's not this philosophical underpinning in Catawba that nature and humanity are separate. And so being able to even use the language properly requires kind of understanding the land and back and forth, back and forth. As Rue continued his research, he also got involved in gardening and food projects on the reservation. He attended a permaculture training program in Asheville. That's where an instructor introduced him to the pawpaw and where he ate his first one. He was drawn to the taste. And he loved the story. I mean, just thinking in terms of deep time, what sort of series of events had to happen for pawpaws to be able to come up and adapt to places where it's actually freezing, when most of their relatives are in South America, where it's not freezing. So this plant is explained to you. What are you thinking? I'm I'm thinking I want to grow this. Like, it sounds like such an amazing plant. A year after Rue attends this workshop, he has his chance. The tribe gets a grant to plant indigenous fruit and nut trees around the reservation's cultural center, but they have to decide which trees. Rue starts asking community elders, what trees do you remember from your childhood that you don't see around anymore? They mention persimmons, mulberries, and black cherries, not pawpaws. So they plant those fruits the elders remember but they also plant pawpaws. Since pawpaws are native to Catawba lands, Rue figures Catawbas must have interacted with them at some point. And regardless of the history, Rue has a certain way of looking at his mission. We're not just trying to recapture, record, and freeze our culture, right? Um, Because Catawba culture, 
was different from 1491 to 1770 to 1850 to now, right? It's constantly changing as all cultures do. And so part of it is protecting the things that are in our living memory, but it's also bringing in more things into our culture, expanding our understanding as Catawbas. And so um, part of that is turning back to the land and remembering that the land was our first teacher, right? Catawbas learned how to live on the land from the land itself. And so that means even though we don't have records of how Catawbas used pawpaws or had a word for pawpaws, for example, um, it doesn't mean that that's not something that, you know, that we can't start integrating back into our culture. Rue and other Catawba citizens planted those trees three and a half years ago. Since then, Rue's learned firsthand how fickle they can be. So we kind of took an approach called STUN, Supreme Total and Utter Neglect. Um, <laughs> is that a technical term? Is that what the bot- Turns out, yes, this is a term in permaculture. You're not trying to cultivate the plants that need the most care. You're trying to cultivate the most resilient plants. It's like, and so it's you, like this is like the cry it out approach to parenting. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like give them, give them some good soil, give them some water when you first plant right. them. Look, we got you. Then, we, we fed you kid. Your, your crib is yeah. very comfortable. You're going to have to figure now out how to sleep. You. Okay. <laughs> Which is kind of nerve wracking because it is a high loss kind of strategy. Right. Um, but the ones that survive are not really requiring a lot of watering. It'll be a few more years before the pawpaw trees flower. And then, in order for those flowers to become fruit, they need to be pollinated. That's another challenge, one that may require a more hands-on approach. So pollination of pawpaws is tricky because they rely on a different set of pollinators than what we're used to. When we're talking about pollinators, we're talking about a huge diversity of creatures. Not not just the birds and the bees? Right. And for pawpaws, it's actually flies um, and other detritivores that uh, fertilize them. So if you are unlucky enough to be walking through a pawpaw patch when they are flowering, you will notice a light rotting stench. And that is actually their flowers, which are kind of these crimson red cup-shaped things um, that are trying to attract flies to them. Um, so you you hear stories about pawpaw growers who will literally hang up rotting meat or rotting fish in their pawpaw patches to get more flies to be able to come to the patch and, per- and <laughs> pollinate them. <laughs> huh. Well, you know, depends on what floats your pollinator's boat. Exactly. Whatever, <laughs> whatever the pollinators are into. <laughs> Have you thought about that first season when your pawpaw trees start to flower and you start to get fruit? Yeah. Every year we have what's called Yapien Iswa Festival, which is the day of the river people. In our language, we call ourselves the river people because we've been living along the Catawba River. Archaeologists tell us for 6,000 to 10,000 years. Um, And so every year we have a fall festival. And so I would love to do some pawpaw ice cream or something as part of that festival because most people haven't heard of it or tried it in my community. And so that for me feels like the next step in the pawpaw journey for my community is just getting people to taste it. Back in the woods with Sarah, I'm still hoping to get my first taste of pawpaw. As we move deeper in, we seem to be getting a little closer to something. All right, what, what, what do you see, Sarah? I see like I see kind of a clearing. It looks like it's a little clearer. Like, is that, kind of, is that one over there? That should be a pawpaw, yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so we are standing before the biggest pawpaw tree I've ever seen. I still don't see any fruit, but this one, this one the, the top leaf is taller than my head. So, yeah. the, so, it, so it's uh, six and a half feet tall. 
And there are, okay, so there's a smaller one over there. And I feel like there have to be more because there's not a critical mass of them worthy enough to be noted through the grapevine. You know what I'm talking about? You, you haven't seen something big enough for it to be like a thing people talk about. I, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's, that's just my, my guess is that there's, there's a mother load that we haven't come across. I'm gonna, it'll be a modest mother load, but I think, I think there's something more notable here. One of the reasons I love pawpaws so much is they're only here when they're here. And you're not even sure that's gonna happen. A couple years ago, there was an early frost. I found one pawpaw. You just get what you get. But if I go to the store, I can get carrots and kale and mangoes in Marietta, Ohio, anytime I want, 24 hours a day. But you can only have pawpaws a couple weeks a year, and it gives me a big appreciation for just how much work it takes to eat, period. I mean, if in fact we don't find actual pawpaw fruits, I will be a little disappointed. But, you know, maybe that's the lesson in all this, Sarah. You know, that's what makes, like you said, that's what make, makes the pawpaw special. If we just wandered 10 minutes into the woods and found a bunch, then it wouldn't be pawpaws. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes you win and sometimes you don't. If you do find pawpaws, there are a few things you can do with them, which Sarah covers in her pocket pawpaw cookbook. You can make custardy desserts like flan, cheesecake, key lime pie with pawpaws. Or you can use them to flavor savory sauces like Sarah's South Carolina mustard pawpaw barbecue sauce or her pawpaw chutney, sort of like a mango salsa. You can make blended drinks like a pawpaw lassi or baked sweets like chocolate chip pawpaw tea cake. But when you're cooking with pawpaws, there is a catch. You said in your email that Papa sometimes induced vomiting. Yeah. Why? How? <laughs> there is a compound in there, and in the seeds as well, that induces vomiting. In large quantities, these compounds can cause intestinal distress. They're also thought to be a neurotoxin. So don't eat several pawpaws a day. And also, watch out if you're drying or dehydrating them. That'll concentrate the compound and make it more potent. Sarah says, in general, you got to be careful when you're cooking pawpaws. But if you eat the pawpaw when it's ripe without the seeds, you won't have that issue. You should not have that issue, no. Sarah and I keep searching. And a few minutes later... Uh, yeah, I feel very bad. Look! <laughs> what? Go. Go. Let's go. Roll out. She sees something. Sarah sees something. We're going right, deeper we're into the woods. we some in sawgrass, which is invasive. But here we go. Here is oh, a bigger one. Yeah, like... This is a big... When you're... This, mm -hmm. this is... Yes, this is a tree. This is an actual tree. How many feet tall would you say that is, Dan? I'm terrible at that kind of estimation. I mean, it, it's more... I think it's more than double my height. So I would say it's like 14 feet tall. Yeah, this is... I would say this is a, like an average size mature pawpaw tree that you would run across in the woods. And then it has some baby pawpaws down here. But I still don't see any fruit, right? Yes. Yeah, no, so no fruit here. What I'm doing right now is looking down because it's possible that like even a month ago this fruited and then bloop, 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 all the fruit dropped. But it's also possible somebody came and cleared it out because they had been keeping tabs on it. Like the right. Sarah Burr of where we are came and... There's no other Sarah Burr. <laughs> if Sarah finds seeds or scraps lying around, that would suggest the ripe pawpaws fell to the ground and animals ate them. But she finds nothing, which means more likely either this tree didn't fruit this year or someone beat us to it. 
There are a couple other fully grown pawpaw trees near this one, but it's the same story with each one. No fruit. This seems like the end of our road. We've been out here for almost two hours. We've scoured just about every inch of this little patch of wilderness. So, Sarah, it looks like we might not find any pawpaw fruits. No, it looks like we might not. I'm, I'm not, I'm not getting the feeling. And not getting the smell either. The smell is another tell. But we saw some trees and have really enjoyed ourselves. And I think, I think I'd prefer that rather than like having a crummy time and finding some fruit. At this point, Sarah stops and looks at me with a twinkle in her eye. Would you like to eat a pawpaw right now? Did you bring a pawpaw? I did. Awesome. <laughs> uh, sure, let's do it. Yeah, this is this is like the, not. The, this the, is Plan B. This is Plan B for she, us. She's bathing. pulled out a pawpaw. It's wrapped in a paper towel. Yes, this is not how you find them in the wild. Is wrapped in a paper towel. So I am looking for one. So wait, these are pawpaws that you foraged. These are from Ohio. Yes. These do, I deliberately chose ones that seemed like they could have come from a woods like this. Like, these are not prime specimens. They're going to be lovely, but these aren't the ones that would be, like, entered in the best pawpaw contest. They're just very average pawpaws. Sarah picked these two days earlier. They're oblong on the small side. One fits in the palm of my hand. They have the coloring of a speckled green pear. Okay, I'm ready. Let's do okay, it. Okay, okay. Uh, do I need a knife? You should be able to just tear into it with your hands. Just rip it open. Yeah. Like dig my thumbs into it and pull it apart. Yeah, there's not kind of not a wrong way. All right, all right. I'm digging my thumbs in. At least in this in. context. Well, it pulls right apart. The skin is not too thick. It is very juicy. Kind of mushy, like you say, custardy. I see the black seeds. There are the black seeds. The flesh is, is yellow, bright yellow. So I would say to slurp, out, slurp out some of the flesh. And then spit out the seed. Okay. Can I just bite into the flesh? Yeah, yeah. Just go for it. The fruit is a challenge to eat. A lot of seeds in relation to flesh. But once you navigate all that and take a taste. You're thinking. Yeah, there's something like a little bit sort of funky to it. Like I keep, I keep trying to think of like, oh, it tastes like this other thing that people will know. But I can't think of what that is. It tastes of many things and also of... None of them. That's what's really hard about this to articulate, I think. Mm. I'm getting the hang of eating it. I de- the, you know, the, the word that I kept reading was custardy of the texture inside, and I think that's a very good description. It's almost like flan. It's not the kind of thing you sink your teeth into. It's sort of like very kind of melty. Yes, yes, melty for sure. If you can sink your teeth into it, it's going to taste disgusting because it's not ripe. Most people said it tastes like a banana-mango combo. To me, this one's more like a papaya-passion fruit combo. Tart, almost citrusy. That could be my perception, or it could just be that wild pawpaws vary a lot from one tree to the next. Yeah, I think you're right. The part of the reason why it's so such a weird sensation to eat it is that it feels totally out of place. It's like I feel like I should, like I should, like I'm on vacation. Like I, like I'm not here. I couldn't. How could I be here and be eating this? I have to be. I must be somewhere else. There's a a disconnect about it that is for me, completely compelling, and I get excited about it every year, and I forget what it's like to eat a pawpaw. And then I think, will they even come back? Do pawpaws even exist? And then they do come back, and I'll be like, do I even like pawpaws? And then eventually I'll come across the first ripe one I come across, and I get to experience that all over again, and it's so fun. And 
reassuring. I'm like, oh yeah, I do love pawpaws after all. There we go. Okay, Dan is flinging the juice off of his hands. And now... Um, licking my fingers. Licking your fingers. And step three, if you like, is wipe them on your pants. Mm. Yeah. Sarah eats the other pawpaw she brought. And then... What should I do the rest of this? Should okay, this is fun. Okay. What you can do is increase the genetic diversity yes, of I can, the pawpaws I can, here. I can throw the, drop these seeds around. We can start, we can expand the patch. Yeah, totally. See, so, uh, I call this a pawpaw bomb. I'm just throwing them all around. I'm throwing the seeds all around. Woo! (laughs) Well, thanks, Sarah. This is super fun. This has been super fun. I feel like we covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Both physically and existentially. Yeah. On my three-hour voyage home, I reflect on what just happened. Part of me feels like I crossed through the paw-paw portal that Sarah talked about. The world looks different. As I pass other woods, I think about what wonders might be in there. But then I also start asking the same question Sarah said she asked at the end of every paw-paw season. Did that really happen? Do paw-paws even exist? Then, a couple days later, I'm scrolling through Instagram, and I stop on a photo. I'm like, that thing looks familiar. Wait a second, that's a pawpaw. What's a pawpaw doing in my Instagram feed? It's my friend and neighbor, Chef Ron Fan, who you'll remember from my early pasta testing. He just got his hands on some pawpaws and he's cooking with them. I send him a text. He asks if I want to stop by to try some samples. So it turns out I didn't have to travel three hours to find a pawpaw after all. Ron's pawpaws were grown by a local farmer on Long Island. Yeah, he set up behind a convent. He laid out like... A couple feet of um, wood chips. He just has all these random trees growing out there, and Pawpaw's one of them. So. And, and how did you get hooked up with this guy? He's been he's been advertising on Facebook a little bit, doing like weird little videos telling people, you know, you should try this fruit. So this they is your first time eating for some cooking with Pawpaws? Yes, absolutely. The first time I've seen a Pawpaw was just two days ago. Would you rather have that than just like going to the supermarket and getting a banana and a lychee or a mango or a passion fruit? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's local. Yeah. So you decided to make what with it, with the pawpaw? Uh, creme brulee. Are you going to brulee this creme right in front of me? Absolutely. Here comes the brulee, the blowtorch. As Ron torches the sugar, he tells me something else. It's not just this farmer in the area. A local chocolatier is working on a new confection featuring pawpaws. We don't usually cover food trends on the Sporkful, but I'm starting to think we may have stumbled onto the biggest thing since arugula got put in a bag. Super. After Ron's done bruleeing, he pours a splash of rum over the top, then sets it on fire, lets it cook off for a minute. Then he breaks up the hard sugar top so the rum can flow down into the custard. That's right, Rowan. Very go. good. Go. Oh my god, that looks ridiculous. Oh my god. That is so good. Now the real question is do I save any of this for Janie or not? Yeah. It won't. You know what? Sorry, Janie. I'm really, really sorry. If you want to see a photo of the pawpaw creme brulee and more pics from my adventures in the woods with Sarah Burr, check out my Instagram, which is also the best place for pasta updates. I am at the Sporkful. 
My thanks to Sarah Burr, author of The Pocket Pawpaw Cookbook, which you can buy wherever books are sold. And if you want to learn more about Rue George Warren's work with Catawba Nation, go to catawba.com. Also, special thanks to Sherry Crabtree at Kentucky State University, Liz Reed, and all the people who spoke with Liz at the Pawpaw Festival. Allison Brady, Blake and John Estep, Emily and Kate Flights, Maggie Flynn, Kristen Harnish, Mark Hildebrand, Griffin Kennedy, M. Onion, and Vic and Vicky Rose. Next week on the show, I talk with cookbook author and TV host Patty Hinich. Patty grew up in Mexico, lives in the U.S., and has devoted her life to sharing the pleasures and intricacies of Mexican food with an American and global audience. This show is produced by me, along with senior producer Emma Morgenstern and producer Andres O'Hara. Our editor is Tracy Samuelson. The show is mixed by Jared O'Connell. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Peter Clowney and Daisy Rosario. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm Holly Rosby in Cleveland, Ohio, reminding you to eat more, eat better, and eat more better. Mm-hmm.